What's up, Fight Fans? Welcome to episode number 153 of The Neutral Corner. This is the first episode of TNC for 2019. I hope you all had a very, very ha happy, healthy, safe, fun New Year's, and you're getting things kicked off for 2019. This is TNC 153 for the week of January 12th. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And for those of you who subscribe to the magazine, you probably already know, but uh, new look for Boxing, Month Boxing Monthly Magazine in 2019. Uh, as you can see, I'm a little rusty. It's been a couple weeks, man. I'm, I already started a couple times here. But uh, new look for the magazine in 2019. I think it looks really sharp, really, really nice. I think it's a good look for BM. Excited about the new look. Uh, not a whole lot going on right now, but it, you know, in the boxing world, the schedule a little light. We do have some fights to preview coming up this weekend, but uh, it's going to really get started in a couple weeks. We got the Pacquiao Brauner card coming up, right? The big pay per view card. Uh, whether you're whether or not you agree that fight belongs on pay per view, we'll discuss that. But uh, I know you guys will be checking that out because Brauner is an absolute nut job, and Pacquiao is one of the all time greats. So I'm going to be doing a live fight commentary for that one for Pacquiao Brauner. So keep that. In the back of your mind, that's coming up. Also, uh, Ringside Reporter, the Ringside Reporter podcast. For those of you who listen or watch that podcast, I will be calling in to do a segment this Sunday when they record. I believe they're going on at 6 p.m. Eastern time this Sunday. I'll be calling in to do a quick segment just previewing that Pacquiao-Brauner fight, okay? So uh, not a whole lot of news and notes, but we're going to uh, get into some Q&A this week for the news and notes section because there's not a whole lot to go over. And then we're going to review everything that took place at the end of the year because I kind of took a two, three-week break there. There were some fights to go over that took place, uh, some upsets. Maybe it wasn't an upset. I don't know. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, we got some stuff coming up this weekend to preview uh, Uzkategui or Uzkategui, however you want to say it, going up against Caleb Plant, and that's on uh, Fox Sports 1. So, all right, guys, let's get into it. News and notes for TNC 153 2019 is here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get it started. Okay, as far as news and notes goes, Adrian Broner got arrested over the last couple weeks. Is that really news? Is that really a surprise? Nah, I still think his fight with Pacquiao is going to go ahead. Uh, Floyd Mayweather KO'd some kid in Japan. A lot of people think it was fixed. Who gives a shit? It was another exhibition fight. You know, the way I look at it is, if these guys want to continue just giving money to Floyd, and if the gullible fans of MMA and some of these other combat sports continue to disrespect boxers and think their fighters have a chance against any boxer in a boxing ring, even a guy who's well past it and has half a beer gut like Floyd Mayweather, boxers are going to continue to take MMA fans' money. So I don't blame Floyd one bit for doing that. Also, Oscar De La Hoya and Dana White beefing. These two going back and forth. And of course, ESPN, the sports centers and all that. They uh, dig into it because they love that kind of drama. Who gives a shit, really? Honestly, would Oscar De La Hoya and Dana White ever fight? I've heard some of you guys talk about that on Twitter just for fun. If they ever did, Oscar De La Hoya would obviously beat the living hell out of Dana White, who thinks he's a fighter. He's not. And, you know, between you and me, I know a lot of things about Dana before he was really famous. Not the best guy in the world. Just not really a good guy. 
Also, let's see, what else uh, for news? Well, the WBA still sucks a dick, but that's not really news either, right? So that's news and notes, guys. Um, one thing I did discover that I didn't even know existed is this player FM thing. And you know, I didn't talk about this at the top of the episode, but I'd like to mention it now as your fee for episode 153 and your good deed to start the new year off, 2019 off in a good way. Player FM apparently is a platform that does uh, podcasting for Android users. So you non-Apple people that can't go onto iTunes and, and leave a comment for me and a rating and all that stuff for, for the podcast on iTunes, well, you could go to this Player FM thing. And basically, if you have a Gmail, if you're, listen, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, you already have a Google account. If you have a Gmail, you already have a Google account. Those of you who have Facebook and stuff like that, you probably have a Google account. If you have a Google account, logging into this thing, this Player FM thing on your computer, on your phone, whatever, it's one click. It will literally, literally say, uh, log in with Google. And you say, yes, boom, you're logged on. So I'm asking you guys your fee for this week. Please go to Player FM. You could just, I think it's player.fm is the website, but just Google it. Just Google Player FM, the neutral corner. Go to the podcast on Player FM and find the neutral corner podcast, Montero Unboxing, and subscribe. Leave a rating, a review. Please, please, please. That's, that's a platform that I didn't even know existed until like a week ago, but I'd like to build up the podcast on that platform, if you will. So that is your fee, guys. All right, Q&A time. I asked some of you guys on Twitter if you had any questions, and a few of you tweeted some out. So Cherokee Crab Bisque on Twitter asks, will AB be a first ballot Hall of Famer after he starches Pacquiao? You kind of had a misspelling of Pacquiao there, my man. And derails May Pac too. Well, I don't see that happening. I don't think you see it happening. I think you're trolling a little bit, Cherokee Crab Bisque. But even if he did, let's say, completely flatten Manny Pacquiao in the first round of their fight in a couple weeks, no. I don't think uh, Adrian Broner would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Pacquiao has how many losses on his record now? You might not agree with some of them, like the Jeff Horn loss, but technically that's a loss. For, uh, for Broner to land a home run punch and starch him here, he's, that doesn't matter. Adrian Broner probably never going to make the, the Hall of Fame, especially with the way things are going to go for him after he retires. I think it's going to only get worse for him as far as his issues with the law. That shouldn't affect you know how people vote, but it will. He's, he's already, he's just not deserving. I understand he has four titles and four divisions. He is not deserving of Hall of Fame consideration. I don't care if he beats Pacquiao, knocks him out with a jab, the first jab of the fight, not happening. Max Samuel asks, thoughts on the whole AJ versus Wilder thing and which camp are to blame, primarily if the fight doesn't come off? Um, Max, um... Uh, Good question. I mean, you know, people keep arguing back and forth and they're going to continue to argue back and forth on this one. Hopefully the fight happens. Hopefully it doesn't get derailed by Fury beating Wilder in their rematch or AJ getting knocked out with a lucky punch against Dillian White or something in their rematch, both of which will take place this year. Uh, I don't think they're going to fight this year at all. It will get pushed to 2020. I do believe they'll fight. And as I've been saying all along, I think it'll be a two or three fight series. However, the, the team that's delaying it right now, 
more so is Anthony Joshua's team. And it's not that Deontay Wilder's team doesn't deserve some blame because they absolutely do. But in these sorts of situations, these mega fight situations, when the fight is delayed or it doesn't even happen, more of the blame goes to the A side. Because let's, let's face it, Anthony Joshua, Eddie Hearn, they can fight anybody. They can fight a cab driver and it's going to do big numbers over in the UK. They don't really give a shit about doing big numbers globally. The only fight that does do big numbers globally for them right now, outside of like a, a rematch with Vladimir Klitschko, let's say, would be a fight with Deontay Wilder. Should Tyson Fury beat Wilder? Well, then it's a fight with Tyson Fury. But I think Team AJ, they're basically sitting back and letting those two guys beat the shit out of each other. They're letting Wilder get a little older. Every fight he's in, he takes punches because he's so fundamentally flawed. And their hope is that Wilder continues to win, but continues to wear down so that when they finally get him, he's a little softened up and worn down. Just the way Canelo Alvarez and Golden Boy Promotions did to Gennady Golovkin, just like Floyd Mayweather and Al Heyman did to Manny Pacquiao, on and on and on I could go with this. So while both camps are at fault, AJ's camp carries more of the fault. And I say that complete, and I, I have to follow up by saying I completely understand why. I don't like it, but from a business perspective, I understand why they're delaying the big fight. They're looking, you know, they're 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 uh, looking long term. It's they're playing the long game, and down the line, two or three years after fighting, you know, after Wilder fights a few more guys and takes a bunch more punches, he's going to be that much easier to beat for AJ. So that's what I see there. Uh, M. G. asks, can you discuss what fight schedule this year so far is the most under the radar for what should be a great matchup? You know, uh, M. G. Um, of all the fights scheduled right now, of course, we already have, what, three pay-per-views possibly because Crawford Con will be announced soon enough. I think three of them are already pay-per-view, which sucks. But of all the fights scheduled right now, the one that I think people are kind of sleeping on and forgetting about is the rematch between Eladir Alvarez and Sergey Kovalev. People forget Kovalev was ahead in that fight early, and then he got caught. And Alvarez was eating some punches in that fight. Uh, so I don't think it's a walk in the park for Alvarez in the rematch. I think a lot of people think that Kovalev's completely finished and Alvarez is just going to come in there and mop the floor with them in three or four rounds and win even in, in more dominant fashion in this rematch. Kind of like what we saw with Ward Kovalev. The difference in those two situations is that, you know, Ward was the A side, maybe not necessarily uh, in terms of pop popularity and everything, but he was the business A-side, and he had the entire American boxing establishment backing him, uh, especially in Vegas, for all that. So he had the, the ref really helping him out, bailing him out there and with some of the fouls and stuff. That's not going to happen here. This fight is going to be in Frisco, Texas, which is uh, where the Dallas Cowboys, the NFL's Dallas Cowboys train. And that venue right there is picking up more and more fights and will continue to do so as Dallas becomes more and more of a growing boxing market. Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, he's a big boxing guy and he wants to continue to bring boxing down there. So Alvarez Kovalev 2 in Texas of all places, you got a guy from Canada, originally from Latin America living in Canada and a Russian guy fighting in Frisco, Texas. 
on ESPN. I think that that is still going to have action, and I don't see it going to the cards. So I think that's the one I'm looking forward to the most in, in terms of flying under the radar right now. I think that's going to be a good fight. Paulo Vega asks, uh, when are the MOB shirts coming for TNC supporters? Paulo, I am almost out of my supply right now of MOB shirts. We only got a couple left and a couple of, I think, like smalls and, and like XXLs. But we're about to print some new ones. So I'm working on that right now. I've kind of been working on it for a while. But our printer, uh, he, there were some issues with uh, just around the holidays and everything with things shutting down and closing down. So we're about to print some new shirts late, uh, pretty soon. And uh, we'll talk more about that then. All right, my man. RTS Mighty Mike asks, what are your thoughts about John Molina versus Omar Figueroa February 16th? Uh, that is the co-main to Leo Santa Cruz's fight there. Uh, as far as action goes, that's an action-packed fight probably. You're probably just – these are two uh, well past their prime guys. I think John Molina, man, he might be fresher. Even though in the back of your mind you would think that he's, he's definitely been in more wars, older guy, more worn down. But Figueroa does not live a very good lifestyle outside the ring. And Molina is a guy who trains regularly. So uh, just in terms of styles and everything else, I, I think that um, Molina has fought at the heavier weights longer, naturally bigger guy. I think that will be a factor. But I just see Rock'em Sock'em Robots here. Not a fight that you uh, necessarily, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean anything for their division or anything like that. But it's going to be fun. And with that crowd there in, uh, in L.A., you know, they're going to eat that shit up. So it's going to be a fun atmosphere. It's going to steal the show that night because the main event is blah. The main event shit. Leo Santa Cruz really doesn't give a shit about you guys and doing what's best for you. So I think that Comain is going to steal the show on February 16th. The Sweet Scientist asks, do you see Santa Cruz Valdez ever happening? Speak of the devil. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz versus Oscar Valdez. No, I don't ever see it happening. And I 100% blame Leo Santa Cruz and PBC. That's why that fight's never going to happen. At some point, it is, it's possible. Everything's possible. But we still got to see Leo Santa Cruz versus Gary Russell Jr. Those two have been dancing around each other for years. They have the same rep representation. And, you know, they've had chances to unify titles and shit for a long time. Hasn't happened. Maybe, maybe we eventually get that fight this year. And... If somehow that sets up down the road, a fight between Santa Cruz, should he beat uh, Gary Russell Jr.? And I, I'm not so sure he would, but should he? If it sets up a big unification fight with Valdez and that's a fight that financially makes sense for them, possibly it happens. But if you put a gun in my head and ask me right now and I had to bet one way or the other, I would bet it never happens, sadly. Books Annalise asks, or Box Annalise Oh, now I get what you're doing there. B-O-K-S, box, analyst. I get what you're doing there. Clever spelling. Do you currently see a real threat? You said thread, but I think you mean threat for Canelo at middleweight. Uh, well, hey, is Canelo a middleweight or is he a super middleweight? I thought he has a title at 168 pounds. Ha! Uh, <laughs> shit title. Um, of course there's threats. I mean, look, Charlo looked, both Charlos kind of looked a little like shit. But they, you know, to their defense, 
uh, especially Jermall, the one at 160. He was fighting a, a replacement, you know, last minute replacement. And um, one fight doesn't tell the whole story. I think that Charlo could give him some issues. I would absolutely favor Canelo, but he could give him some stylistic issues. Demetrius Andrade, because of his size, length, athleticism, switch hitter, I think maybe he could give him some issues. But uh, he's having his own issues outside the ring and always has. Uh, a guy like Billy Joe Saunders, who knows? Gennady Golovkin, of course, is always a threat. But yeah, right now, you'd probably have to say Canelo is the top guy at middleweight, especially with, you know, Gennady Golovkin. I'm starting to believe that the way he kind of got screwed by the system, he was very well paid, but he got a little bit screwed by the system over the past couple of years. 2018 was a rough year for Golovkin. And if you guys want me to do a little rant video on that, I can, breaking it down a little further. But it, it wasn't just the Canelo situation. There were several situations going on that it was just a really rough year for him. And he still hasn't announced what he's doing. And now there's all these rumors going around and everything else. But uh, he would be my number two at middleweight. But I, I, I think he's probably on his way down at this point. So it, I'm not 100% sure he's going to go with the zone anymore. He might not. So for Canelo, yes, there are threats. There are always threats. But he's the top guy at middleweight at this point in time. Fernando asks, have I had a chance to listen to the Boxing ESQ podcast with Boxing Judge, Judge Steve Weisfeld? Very enlightening. No, but I will check that out, Fernando. Steve Weisfeld is, I feel, one of the better young judges in all of boxing. I don't always agree with his scores. I don't always agree with anybody's scores. But the overwhelming majority of the time, I do agree with his scores. And if you look at his scores of some really big fights in recent years, one that jumps to mind right real quick is uh, Klitschko Joshua, Joshua Klitschko. He actually had that fight scored correctly. He was the only judge who had that fight scored correctly before the stoppage. Um, I, I do think he's a very, very good judge. So I will check that out. If uh, he was a guest on uh, this, this podcast here, I'll check it out and let you know how I think, what I think about it. Iggy K asks, Triple G leaving Loeffler, rumors, any truth to that? Uh, Iggy, all I could tell you is nothing is concrete on that. He has gone around doing interviews and such without Tom. And he's kind of seeking everybody out. He's exploring his options. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. It, it, he's a free agent and he can go meet with a million different people and then still sign back with Tom Loeffler. So... We'll see what happens. But uh, I, I do know that one particular YouTube channel really, really dishonestly and um, unethically, in my opinion, put out a video saying, you know, Triple G lost or uh, broke with Loeffler. And it's, it's confirmed. It's, it, you know, all this. And it, of course, that's a ton of views because everybody jumps to that clickbait. And it's nothing's been concrete, substantiated at all right now. I've asked around to some people and I can't get an answer. So that means there's some legs to this shit. There, there's some legs to these rumors, okay? But I'm not going to go on record saying either way. All I know is when I reach out to a couple of my sources who usually get right back to me and tell me stuff and they're not telling me anything right now, that means there's something going on. So we're going to get an announcement from Golovkin pretty soon and it's, it's going to be surprising. It's going to be, some of it's going to come out of left field. Okay. But that's all I can really say at this point. 
Uh, other than that, anything else you hear from any quote unquote news source or YouTube channel, it's just bullshit. It's not news yet. So everyone slow down. We should know pretty soon. All right, guys, that's enough of the Q&A slash news and notes for this week. Let's get into the review of how we closed out 2018. Okay, so going all the way back to Saturday, December 22nd, which would have been what? Christmas Eve, 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 I think. Uh, Manchester Arena, ESPN Plus. It was an afternoon card here in the USA, an afternoon broadcast. This was a Frank Warren card. In the main event, Josh Warrington scores a minor upset, improves to 28-0 as six knockouts with a unanimous decision win over Carl Frampton. This was the first defense of Warrington's IBF featherweight title. The scores were 116-112 twice, and one judge had a 116-113. First, I need to clear something up. I incorrectly stated that Warrington barely got by Lee Selby going all the way back to episode 152 in, uh, in mid-December of TNC. I, I talked about him barely getting by Kiko Martinez, which was true, but I incorrectly added Lee Selby, that Lee Selby fight to it. Uh, he, he clearly beat Lee Selby. It, it was a split decision last May. It should have been a unanimous decision, okay? So I just wanted to get that cleaned up. Um, but with this fight, you guys know, if you heard my preview, I liked Frampton in this fight. So this is one that I just flat out got wrong. And I know a lot of people that I trust their picks, uh, including, you know, some, some Vegas guys and stuff that work in the biz all the time, odds guys, they had Frampton too. So um, this is just one where, look, is Carl Frampton past his best? Probably, we, right? We probably know that, but did we underrate Warrington? Did we overweight Frampton? Or is it simply just a matter of styles? Is it just a matter of a younger, fresher guy looking better than the older, faded guy? We kind of don't know yet. It might be like, honestly, all of that. But Warrington is a real player at featherweight. I think that much is clear. And I talked about some featherweights before in, in the Q&A. You know, I talked about uh, Oscar Valdez, Leo Santa Cruz, Gary Russell Jr. Warrington's in the mix with those guys. And he's a player now over in the UK. The UK is boxing mad. He certainly moves the needle. I'm not saying he's a huge star over there, but with that win over Frampton, that's a name, right? Now he's got a couple of, you know, uh, wins over name guys now uh, over there to where you know, he, he's definitely a bigger brand than somebody like Gary Russell Jr. Let's let's be honest, you know? So he's absolutely in the conversation with those top featherweights right now. Also on this card, Hassam Endam won a majority decision over Martin Murray, who immediately retired because on the surface, you, you know, both guys prime for prime, Murray probably better than Endam, right? But at this point, Endam uh, definitely has aged better. Uh, one judge had it 114-114. The other two judges had it, I believe, 8-4-9-3. Uh, I don't remember the exact scores, but I do remember one had it a draw. So Endow is still a serviceable middleweight. He now has the WBC silver title, whatever the fuck that is. But uh, the WBC and all their damn titles. Not as bad as the WBA, but really, really close. Uh, so Indom, you know, is he a top 10 guy? I don't know. Maybe borderline top 10 middleweight, but he's certainly in the top 15, top 12. Serviceable guy. And, um, you know, let's see him uh, in there against one of these young guys trying to come up. 
you know, uh, Charlo wants to stay busy, fight Indom. I mean, you know, something like that. He'd give any of those guys, um, you know, a competitive fight. So also on this card, Billy Joe Saunders, uh, speaking of middleweights, he got a win. Michael Conlon got a win. Liam Williams got a win. And then the same day, in the O2 Arena in London, this is a matchroom card. So you had a Frank Warren card and a matchroom card, of course. This was on Sky Box Office over there. Picked up by Showtime here in the USA. This was not on DAZN for some reason, which I don't quite understand. Somehow in the contract, it just it wasn't part of it. So Showtime picked this up. And I think I, during the preview portion of the last episode of TNC, I incorrectly stated that, that this was going to be on DAZN. I can't remember for sure. Either way, it got picked up by Showtime like in the, in the last hour. So a lot of you guys didn't know I was on Showtime. I didn't either. But I'm flipping through the damn channels. and I'm, I totally forgot that this thing was on. I was visiting family and I was going to catch the replay. Because I was like, oh, it's just, I guess it's on DAZN, so what the hell? But, I, you know, boom, showtime, it's on, and we're watching it. And this was a great fight between Dillian White and Derek Chisora. Their re, the rematch, uh, their first fight back in December 2015 was a great fight, well, a very good fight. I don't know about great, but it was a very good heavyweight scrap between two uh, top 10 guys at that time, at least one bona fide top 10 and one on the bubble kind of guy in Chisora. Good quality heavyweight scrap. And this rematch was better. I thought the rematch was better than the first one. Dillian White scores, honestly, I think the knockout of the year over Derek Chisora in the 11th round to improve to 25 and one with 18 knockouts. Um, you know, you think about it, man, there were some great knockouts last year. And, you know, we've talked about them because, you know, I've, I've had to vote for the, all the year-end award winners for both Boxing Monthly and for Ring. And, uh, you know, I've made my opinions known. But this happened last week of the year almost, you know. So I think this probably flew under the radar for a lot of you. If you haven't seen this knockout, it was pretty damn epic. The hook that White caught Chisora with. And you could see, you could tell he was setting it up for rounds and rounds, just backing up and using his jab. And Chisora would bowl in, get White on the ropes, and then bowl in and try to do some inside work. White would smother it, get back in the center of the ring, start jabbing and backing up. And finally, that left hook opened up, and holy hell, Chisora was out before his head hit the canvas. It was a scary knockout. And uh, for Chisora, look, it's time for him to hang it up. He, he, it was a great effort from him. Uh, he went 10 and a half hard rounds. The judges somehow had him up at the time of the stoppage, which I, which I think was incorrect. I thought Dillian White was winning the fight. So uh, those judges, I don't know what the hell they were seeing. But for Dillian White, he moves on. And of course, Anthony Joshua was there. And he was talking about a rematch. With White, and I think White has earned it, man. His only defeat as a pro was against Anthony Joshua, right? And they they fought actually they fought in 2015. White Chisora, their first fight was in 2016. Let me correct myself there because I think I got the years mixed up uh, earlier. But uh, obviously, we're gonna get AJ White too, probably in April. It's possible they go and fight someone like Jarrell Big Baby Miller first. And then Dillian White, or it could be Dillian White first, and then they fight Big Baby Miller later this fall. But I think those are going to be the two opponents 
for AJ this year. But since that first fight, okay, AJ has become the top guy at heavyweight, obviously. He's 7-0 since his first fight with Dillian White. White is 9-0 since. And he has, you know, a couple fight of the year contenders and knockout of the year contenders. So good for him, man. He's earned this thing. If they do fight in April, White will be 31. AJ will be 29 and a half. Uh, so they're both still young guys in their physical prime. And I think they've both, both improved since the first fight. So I welcome that rematch. I hope we see it. I think that's a better fight than people... Uh, than they, than they think. I, I, that's one of those fights that I think actually will exceed the expectations a lot of you have. That's in the beginning, you know, I was talking about fights that uh, are kind of flying under the radar, but are going to be better. The beginning of this episode, I was talking about fights that are flying under the radar and are going to be better than you guys realize. And I think that might be one of them, man, seriously. Also, on this card, an upset special, Charlie Edwards. Scored a unanimous decision win in t- over 12 rounds against Christopher Rosales, who is on his way to you know being the, the breakthrough fighter of the year and then blows it. <laughs> uh, Edwards wins by the scores of 118-110, 117-111, 116-112, grabs the WBC flyweight title. Now look, this wasn't a freak knockout. This wasn't a close fight that could have went either way. This wasn't a guy getting injured or something like that and, and couldn't uh, you know, pull it out in the late rounds. This is one guy, Charlie Edwards, soundly, decisively beating Christopher Rosales and showing that he's just a better fighter. And people didn't see that coming into this, at least not most people, because Rosales had scored one of the upsets of the year over Daigo Higa, right? Maybe, I mean, you could call that the upset of the year. It's certainly among the top two or three. But I think Tony Harrison pulled out the upset of the year at the very end there against Jermel Charlo, whether you agree with the decision or not. But uh, Rosales over Higa was one of them. And then I, I just, those of you who picked Edwards, I don't think you had Edwards winning like 10 rounds to two, nine rounds to three. If you did, let me know in the comments section because not many people I talked to had Edwards winning. They thought Rosales was going to win. If Edwards was going to win, it was by like a close, controversial decision. So for him to dominate the fight and clearly win like this, I think it was an upset special. Good stuff. I love a great upset. Who doesn't? Also, uh, heavyweights on this card, Carlos Takam and David Price. The price was finally right. The price had been wrong, but the price was finally right. Uh, They both scored TKO wins on this card. Okay, so uh, that was over in the UK. On the same Saturday, it was over here in the USA in Brooklyn at Barclays Center, PBC on Fox. And I just talked about it. Tony Harrison improves to 28-2 and with 21 knockouts, scores a unanimous decision win over Jermel Charlo. 115-113 twice. And 116-112 wins the WBC junior middleweight title and completely derails the supposed talk. We were going to get Hurd and Charlo finally this spring. And now that shit ain't happening. So a lot of people were calling this a robbery. A lot of people strongly disagreed with the scoring. Now, I want to make a distinction, and that's why I'm reviewing all these fights that happened over the last couple weeks. I know some of you guys are going to be like, why are you talking about this shit that happened weeks ago? Well, because there's some good lessons to be learned from all of it, guys. And one, this to me 
was if you disagreed with this decision, I understand. This was more of a poor decision rather than a robbery. A robbery was Canelo Golovkin won. That was a robbery. Golovkin won that fight, okay? Golovkin Canelo 2, if you feel Golovkin won, I understand. Maybe that's a poor decision because you can absolutely make a legitimate, logical argument that that fight was a draw or maybe Canelo eked it out. I'm not saying that's how I saw it, but that's how many people did see the second fight. So there's such a thing as a poor decision and there's such a thing as a robbery. When I look at this fight between Harrison and Jermel Charlo, this was a close competitive fight. And it's not, it really comes down to what you prefer. Harrison was spoiling what Charlo wanted to do. Charlo had absolutely no plan B. He was going out there to drill this guy. That's all he wanted to do was go out there and drill this dude. He read the... Uh, the scouting report that you know I talked about that Harrison gasses after four or five rounds because we've seen it happen to him not once but twice. <coughs> Willie Nelson TKO'd him in the ninth round back in 2015. Jarrett Hurd, of course, uh, overwhelmed him, TKO'd him in the ninth round in 2017. So twice this guy had worn down and been stopped in the ninth round. So we all thought that's what Charlo was going to do. I think Charlo thought he was going to do the same thing, and he fought like it. The one game plan he he had, Harrison was trying to lower that work rate and make him look one-dimensional, and guess what? He did. I thought both Charlos, to a degree, got exposed on this night at Barclays. Uh, you put a gun to my head, I think Charlo eked out this win over Harrison, but I could totally see, and, and I totally understand why a lot of you feel Harrison won. And there are people that I trust their opinion and they feel Harrison legitimately won. I think Charlo eked it out, but it was a close fight. And you can make an argument for the other guy just like the Golovkin-Canelo rematch. This, is, this was not a robbery. So let me just, you know, I just need to put that out there. And if you felt Canelo beat Triple G because of his, I'm, I'm going back to the first fight because of his quote-unquote smooth boxing and all this kind of stuff, and you thought Ward beat Kovalev, then you probably had Harrison soundly, decisively beating Charlo. Because you can't go both ways on it, right? If you're favoring the, the boxer, the spoiler, then you got to be consistent with that. You know, if, if you're favoring the guy who's being aggressive, coming forward, making the fight happen, then you should have had Kovalev over Ward. You should have had Golovkin in the first fight clearly over Canelo. And you probably would have had Charlo over Harrison in this fight. So it is interesting how people's uh, judging preferences seem to change depending on the promotional platform, the nationality of the fighter, all that kind of stuff, the style of the fighter. It is interesting the way that works. But uh, okay, Harrison boxing, Charlo going for a KO, Charlo's punches. 160 out of 548, according to CompuBox, 29% landed. Harrison, 128 for 377, 34%. Charlo more power, Harrison more jabs. So do you score the fight for the guy going for the one-punch knockout who landed a few more power punches, or do you go for the guy who 
in between the bursts of power punch exchanges is landing a consistent jab and really honestly controlling, dictating the actual pace in the rhythm that the fight was being fought in. That's the argument with this fight. So also, Jamal Charlo scores a unanimous decision win over Matt Koroboff, the first defense of his interim WBC middleweight title. Going into this fight, Koroboff was the last second replacement for Willie Monroe Jr., who was a more active and slick kind of fighter. Koroboff had fought once in two years. So I thought there'd be a ton of ring rust. Surprisingly, there wasn't much ring rust. And Koroboff was able to land lead, was it, was it, because he's coming, he's a southpaw, lead left hands right down the pipe. Boom, boom, over and over and over on Charlo. I was amazed by that. And I was amazed that Koroboff's hands looked faster than Charlo. I did not expect that. I was very, very surprised. Uh, I thought this fight, just like the, uh, the Charlo-Harrison fight, was going to be a late-round stoppage for Charlo because Korobov had not been active. Now, what we saw was in the late rounds, I thought Korobov slowed down, his work rate slowed down, and that is where the inactivity and the age and everything caught up to him. So sometimes with a fighter who's been inactive, he's a little older, he looks rusty in the early going and finds a late rhythm. Sometimes you see an older guy who's been inactive start really sharp and fade late. That's what we saw here. So Korobov had one speed and did one thing over and over and over. It was actually Jermall Charlo who had a little more wrinkles to him. Didn't really go into a plan B, but he boxed a little bit better, had more offensive variety, and I thought he deserved a decision. Some people th felt Korobov won. But I thought Charlo eked it out. I really, really do. I think he eked it out. And it's because Korobov really gave the fight away. It almost kind of reminded me of when Canelo fought Irislandi Lara. I thought Lara had a chance to win that fight if he had closed the, uh, the last, you know, the championship rounds of that fight out with more activity. But he kind of gave the fight away to Canelo and let him just let himself get outworked. It's kind of what I saw here. I thought Korobov had a, had a chance to pull this thing out but he kind of let Charlo outwork him. That's what I saw. Anyway, uh, man, Charlo really got exposed. If, if a guy, and I hate to use that damn word, it's such a cliche, and I get it, styles make fights, and I think both Charlos came in, these are supposed to be showcase fights for them, and maybe they came in a little overconfident and didn't take these guys seriously. I do think that they'll bounce back better from this. But to, for those straight lefts, that were so telegraphed to land over and over, even late in the fight when Korobov was tired. Man, I was shocked by that. I really, really was. And if Korobov can land that type of work, Canelo will eat his ass up. I even think Andre would box the shit out of Charlo. I think Andre would win a, a decision against, he's not going to knock him out. Both Charlos showed a really, really good chin. I'd love to see some full-time Vada testing next time because their chins look amazing. I mean, Korobov landed some flush punches on Jamal, and I'm not trying to throw any accusations out there. I'm just saying, I just want to know everything's on the up and up, because he just ate that shit like it was, like it was a jab. <clears throat> but yeah, man, I, I, you'd have to favor, okay, imagine Billy Joe Saunders, a taller, longer, more athletic southpaw than Korobov. He's going to land punches all day, and he's going to make Charlo miss. 
Korobov really didn't make a miss that much. Saunders would. I, I just, man, I don't know about Charlo. His 160-pound reign, and I'm doing air quotes as I say reign, has been an injured Jorge Sebastian Highland, Hugo Centeno Jr., an inactive old Matvey Korobov. Not the strongest reign. And I, I got to go on a little rant here, guys, for a second. Bear with me. But some of these Twitter tough guys out there, there's two particular guys in the media, and I'm not even going to say their name. Only one guy really works in the media. One guy used to. He, he's kind of an outsider now, but he does a little bit of work here and there for PBNC. But these guys love to talk so fucking tough on Twitter. And they were criticizing me for some of my harsh rhetoric about the Charlos. Uh, one guy doing it in tweets and the other guy liking the tweets slyly and thinking I didn't see it. These are two guys that nobody in the industry likes. Everybody dislikes them except for a tiny little group of executive types that they're, they're in good with and do favors for. Okay. These guys had Charlos on their pound for pound list. They had Jermel Charlo above Jarrett Hurd on their pound for pound list coming into this damn fight. And they were butt hurt because their pound for pound list got blown the fuck up when the Charlos got exposed. And uh, Jermel Charlo acted very classless, in my opinion, to Tony Harrison. And I tweeted about that. Tony Harrison gave Charlo props and said he'd give him a rematch right there in the ring after the fight. And Charlo got up in his ass and was talking shit. I understand if Charlo wants to talk shit about the judges or the system and, you know, boxing, everything else. But don't talk shit to the guy who just gave you credit and is offering you a rematch. That's just a classless, classless act. You come off looking like a prick. And people, you know, a lot of people think the Charlos are pricks already. Now, maybe that's part of their charm because you got to have bad guys in the sport of boxing. You got to have that. You got to have good guys. You got to have bad guys. The Charlos make it clear they want to be seen as the bad guys. Okay, cool. I get that. But don't take it on a Tony Harrison, dude. Especially when he's giving you props. Like, I thought that was shitty. I tweeted about it. Some of these Twitter tough guys, you know, responded to it and had something to say. And of course, you know, they accused me of being biased. They called me out. I called out their bullshit. You know, they thought they had me because they tried to compare this situation to when Gennady Golovkin left the ring uh, after uh, the, the second fight with Canelo Alvarez and said that I, you know, had nothing negative to say about that, which is wrong. I tweeted immediately that Golovkin left the ring uh, and it was, I did a radio show later that night, NBC Sports Radio with Dave Smith. I was on his show and I said flat out, and it's all there on YouTube. I posted, I said, that's a bad look for Golovkin. That's not a good look. Of course, you understand he's frustrated. The difference is Golovkin didn't get all up in Canelo's ass right after the fight and bitch at him and, and cuss and swear at him you know, after Canelo had given him credit. He didn't do that. And, and for the record, Golovkin showed up at the post-fight press conference and you know, he, he, he definitely was pissed off that night, but he wasn't taking it out on Canelo. He was pissed off at the judges, the system, yada, yada, yada. So apples and oranges situations, but for some of these guys that get on Twitter and try to talk shit, these are the same guys when I see them in person, they, look, they act like little bitches. I'm sick of this shit. I'm sick of these Twitter tough guys, and they're not the only ones. There's, there's been a few of them. You guys know some of these guys who've gone after me on YouTube and this and that. And I understand it's just part of the, part of the thing. And, and the more my brand continues to grow, these guys are going to be jealous and be pissed off, especially because a lot of them are little beta, cuckish, little shitheads that nobody likes. And they see a guy like me winning, and I'm an alpha, 
and I could beat the shit out of them. So they're going to get more and more jealous and pissed off. Like, I understand all that. I just can't stand when somebody talks some shit on Twitter or YouTube or whatever, and I see them in person and I say hi to them and they turn bitch. That shit annoys the hell out of me. Sorry, I had to go on a rant there. I've been bottling that one up for a couple of weeks. Could you tell? Anyway, also on this card, Dominic Brazil scored a, a fun win uh, in, a, in a good heavyweight slugfest. Say what you will about Dominic Brazil, man. Uh, he comes to bring it, and he's entertaining, and you need that in heavyweight division. When's he going to get his shot at Wilder? Why not? And if you're AJ, you know, in, in Hearn, you might not want that match to happen because I'm telling you, Brazil can take a shot and he throws crazy punches from left field. He's starting to learn how to sit down on his punches better. He does telegraph the hell out of him, but that's never a problem against Wilder. You're going to connect against him. I don't know, man. Brazil would have a shot against Wilder. I'm just putting that out there. Also, Terrell Gachet scored a win and Rancis Bartholomew got a win. Now, on Sunday, December 30th in Tokyo, Japan, ESPN Plus picked up uh, that card. Masayuki Ito and Ken Shiro both defended their titles. Ito, 130-pound title. Shiro, 108-pound title. Uh, Teoma Inoue at 118 pounds. Uh, grabbed the vacant interim bantamweight title. Of course, he's related to the monster. He's the monster's brother. And um, in Macau, China, Danin Yetes wins a vacant 115-pound title. Muryutai Mathalane, I always screw up his name, defended his flyaway title. And upset special, Heki Budler lost his 108-pound titles. He was kind of a breakthrough fighter this year and uh, lost it at the end of the year as well. So we saw that with a couple guys. You never know what's going to happen in the boxing ring, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so that's how we closed out 2018. Let's preview what we got coming up this weekend. Friday, January 11th, in the boxing hotbed of Shreveport, Louisiana. Of course, I'm joking. Uh, Showbox, Devin Haney Promotions, coming back to Showbox. Devin Haney going up against... A fighter from South Africa. I'm going to try to say this right. Jolie Sani... Don Jenny. I know that's probably really bad. I apologize. Both these guys are undefeated. Haney's 20 and 0, 13 knockouts. Don Jenny, Don Genny is 25 and 0 with 13 knockouts. However, Don Genny is from South Africa, 28 years old, 5 foot 8. This is only his second fight outside of South Africa. So, not all records are created equally, right guys? I think it's clear Haney's 20 and 0 is a lot stronger than Dongeni's 25-0. and 0. You know, I'd put, I'd put a lot of money on that, okay? Haney should win this fight. And I talked with Haney, and a, a lot of people have said, when is he gonna step it up? Well, the next issue of Ring Magazine, you guys are gonna see an article of mine where I interviewed Devin Haney, and one of the things that we talked about, him and his publicist, Mario Serrano, was, um, they want to fight for a title by the end of this year. So what he wants to do is if he comes out of this fight with, you know, as they plan with, with a victory and no serious injuries or anything, they want to fight for a title eliminator next, probably this summer. So they're negotiating with some of the sanctioning bodies. I know he's in the top 10 for two or three of them. If he wins this fight, looks good. 
He probably will be able to negotiate his way into a title eliminator this summer and then a title fight later this year at the very end of the year. So that is the plan for Devin Haney in 2019. You heard it from me and I got it directly from the kid's mouth. Okay. So that is the plan right there. So um, Haney will step up this year. That's what he wants to do. Now, Sunday, January 13th at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, PBC on Fox Sports 1. Uh, they're going to have a card right after football. And I do love one thing about the PBC on Fox deal. They're advertising, man. So during the NFL playoffs, they're talking about this fight. They're playing commercials. Even Joe Buck during the broadcast, the football game, was talking about this fight. I love that. I hope they get some of the football fans to switch over to Fox Sports 1 and check this out. Jose Uzcategui, or Uzcategui, I've heard it said both ways. I've heard it said other ways too. Going up against Caleb Plant. Records, Uzcategui, 28 and two, 23 knockouts. Plant, 17 and 0, 10 knockouts. Uh, Plant was the 2011 National Golden Gloves champ here in America. Six foot one, 74 inch reach, 26 years old, from Nashville, Tennessee. Lives and trains now out of Vegas. Uzkategui, Jesus, Uzkategui, to me it looks like Uzkategui, uh, from Venezuela, but now lives and trains out of Mexico. Fights with that Mexican style. Six foot two, 76 inch reach, 28 years old. Only legit loss. He has two losses, but one was really, really, really close. Uh, that loss to Durrell, which is bullshit. His only legit loss was to, of all people, Matt Vey Korobov in 2014. Round and round it goes in boxing. So, um, you know, I look at Caleb Plant. You know, I hear a lot about the great white hype thing. That's still a thing. I've heard about it my entire life training in gyms, especially uh, when I train in gyms with a lot of black fighters and black coaches, and they always talk about the great white hype. And I always say, guys, that's such a 20th century thing that doesn't exist anymore. In fact, a white guy from America uh, probably is going to have to fight twice as hard to get the same amount of respect. I always bring up the situation with Kelly Pavlik and Jermaine Taylor. Taylor came right out of the amateurs to a golden road, pay for him on HBO. Pavlik had to win not one, but two eliminator fights to get a shot at Taylor. And even after he beat him, people were calling it um, just a fluke. He had to fight Taylor twice to get some uh, respect. I look at Caleb Plant, and I'm like, if the great white hype thing really was a thing, here is a tall, good-looking white guy from Nashville, Tennessee, who has a lot of swag, tattoos. He dates a hot mulatto chick that I can't remember her name, the PBC chick um, that does their little news show or whatever. That's his girl, right? He looks the part. He's straight out of central casting. This dude could be this dude could be doing like uh, I don't know Kelvin Klein models stuff. You know what I'm saying? And he can box and he fights with a certain amount of swag and stuff. Nobody knows who the fuck this guy is. So to me, it just it just further shows that's not a thing anymore in boxing. Nobody gives a shit. They just want to see good fighters. But I know I'll probably get some shit just for saying that, which is stupid. But uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I, guys like him just prove, like, where's the marching parade for Caleb Plant? Why isn't he all over Sports Center and being called an all-time great? If the gray white hype is really a thing, why isn't this guy all over magazines and shit? He's on Fox Sports 1. 
Okay. Anyway, this is a huge step up in opposition for him. Uzcategui has fought some top guys. Twice fought Darrell. He's fought Korobov. He's fought some other quality guys. So he has faced the better opposition. He's battle-tested. He's got a beard. He even took a punch from Darrell's uncle. Wasn't even looking and got caught and ate it. Dude's legit. Caleb Plant doesn't punch hard. Punches off the back foot. Skills. Got skills all day. But we just don't know what this guy has because he hasn't stepped up. This is his first step up. This is Caleb Plant's fight to lose. This is being set up for his call. You know, this is supposed to be his coming out party. That's the way his handlers have set this thing up. But we don't know if he can catch. And at some point, Uzkategui is going to land something. And I just don't know, man. I don't know if Plant's going to take that shot and keep going. And I don't know if he's got enough to keep Uzkategui off of him. I got to favor the Venezuelan kid by probably by close decision or something. But if Plant looks impressive, if he scores a, a decisive, clear victory here, I'll give the kid credit. If he can beat Uzkategui, he's a legit guy at super middleweight. But I just favor the Venezuelan because, of, look, man, you got to look at the resumes. You got to look at the pedigree. I know that Plant, good amateur, good skills, really slick, but you got a guy coming at you who's not going to stop. And you got to sit down, plant your ass, and throw a hard punch to keep this guy off of you. And I just don't know if he's going to be able to do that for 12 rounds. So give me Uzkategui in this fight. Also, Guillermo Rigondeaux making a comeback. I know. It's exciting. It's really, really exciting. He's fighting a Mexican dude that's lost six out of his last seven. Last fought in December 2017 against Loma, where he made up an injury because he was being embarrassed and outclassed so bad he wanted to get out of the damn ring. So for those of you who have been waiting for over a year to see that guy come back, I, I remember, I mean, there was a cult of you guys who were given a lot of a shit on Twitter and everything else for years. you gotten really quiet lately. <laughs> I, I, I imagine you're going to be around this Sunday to watch him make his big comeback, right? I don't know. You guys have gotten real quiet. Anyway, that's it, guys. Uh, welcome 2019. It's going to be a good year. I'm telling you, it's going to be a good year. All right. I'll see you at the fights.